Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Steph was a massive part in my acceptance, I think, and coming back to acceptance. Even just telling Steph that I had this problem and this, you know, thing was a massive step moving forward. My and many athletes' favorite thing about the Olympics is not necessarily like meeting so many people from around the world, even though that is cool. It's meeting your own team. That camaraderie is really, really special. Hey everyone, Meredith here, and we are back with part two of our episode with Georgia Simmerling. If you listen to part one, you already know a lot about her, but I'll summarize. She is a four-time Olympic Games athlete. She's pretty good. She owns and runs AGM Sports Management, the first female-owned and operated sports management company in Canada. And she is head of partnerships with Project 8, an organization looking to bring professional women's soccer to Canada. This time we're getting personal. We're going to talk about some of the things that Georgia struggled with in the past with her eating and with her training and how she managed to come out on the other side of what was a pretty dark time for her. And of course, because we find relationships so interesting to talk about, we do spend some time talking with Georgia about her relationship with her fiance, Olympic gold medalist, goalkeeper for the Canadian women's soccer team, Stephanie LeBay. A word of warning, we do talk about eating disorders and body image issues in this episode. So if you find that kind of listening triggering, it might be best to skip this one or do your best to skip over that part and always be mindful of little ears who might be listening in the background. We think this is a great episode and a really, really good follow-up to part one. You're going to love it. Welcome back. <laughs> Part two. I love Thanks. that you just said welcome back. That was like a five minute break. I, I just got up and but we are stretched back. the legs. <laughs> okay. Part two is going to be potentially more fun than part one. Ooh, I'm down. Gonna, part one was pretty darn fun. We're going to get a little more personal. So let's just dive right in. You, I think this was maybe about a year ago, if I'm correct, released or you were part of a story, an article where you kind of talked about, I guess to just put it point blank is like an eating disorder. Yeah, I think it was just over a year. So it was just over a year. And so Steph and I were living in, after the Olympics, Steph had a pretty amazing opportunity to go play for one of like the most prestigious men and women football clubs in the world. Which one was that? PSG. Yes. Yep. Paris, Paris Saint-Germain. It's the one with the rooster logo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So we said, yep, let's go. And so we went and it was while I was there that I think maybe, I don't really remember how it kind of came to light, but I ended up being in touch with the people at Bell Let's Talk, which is, yeah, well, I'm, I should probably know the date, but it's like January 20 something. And I said, I think I'm ready to tell my story. And I think in doing so can impact or assist or help people that are struggling. And I was healed. I had been, I guess, healed for a number of years at the time. And yeah, I struggled with bulimia for 10 or so years. It's kind of honestly hard to keep track of the timeline. Not consistent, but on and off. So I mean, I don't know if that's worse or better, but I think it was maybe after my first Olympics that it maybe started to really kick in, unfortunately. And 
yeah, I mean, where to begin? I was, I, I mean, you know, Alex, we've known each other for a long time. Like I was pretty confident, like energetic, outgoing person as a kid. I still am. I was always the first one to like take off my sports bra during a workout. And I was proud of my body. I was, and I, I mean, I still am. Take off your t-shirt. Keep your sports bra oh, on. Does that, I just yeah. said sports bra? I mean, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we? Wow. I was like, I'm sure people will get it. But then I was Should like, we I bleep that out? <laughs> oh, I think you just leave that in. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we're leaving it in. Yes. To take off my t-shirt, to, to just have on my sports bra, to be clear. And to show my body. It's almost like I started to struggle with two different identities. So while I was home, I was struggling. I, yoga was a really big part of my life but at a very young age, which I love. And I still actually have a really, really positive relationship with yoga. And so I struggled with going to yoga classes with size ones and twos and zeros and feeling really fat. In fact, at the same time, I would go overseas with our team as a ski racer and still, and feel very strong and powerful. And let's remind some of us were doing downhill ski racing. That is a sport where weight is a very necessary component. It's a gravity sport. You obviously need to use that mass in an appropriate manner, but you definitely don't want to be small that one would consider small. So I like really struggled with this kind of juxtaposition of I love yoga. I just don't feel good at all in my body when I was home. And then when I would go away, I would like really struggle with that, with what was being presented to us for meals. Sometimes I remember just being like, I don't know, how it happened, but I started to be really acutely aware of what the food I started to eat was. I don't know if I started to Google a lot or just looked at the labels of everything, but like started to not eat a lot of fat, you know, cut out peanut butter in my diet. I mean, yeah, cheese. I just started to not like pasta, like carbs were the fucking enemy for me. So when we're away in Europe, like you're often given food, you sit in a small little family run hotel. So you don't get to choose what you eat. I remember like for many years, that was like a big struggle of mine. And, you know, there's a bowl of pasta in front of you and you're competing the next day, like you should probably eat that bowl of pasta. And so instead of eating the bowl of pasta, I'd probably eat a couple bites and then go and eat six pieces of fruit in my bedroom because I thought that was better for me. Not at all. And so, yeah, I just like really then started to struggle with consumption and how much I was eating. So I'd eat a really healthy dinner and then four bowls of cereal and would feel so ill and make myself sick. I would never eat 10 burgers or whatever, like a large amount of unhealthy food because I was always really, really conscious of what I was putting in my body. But cereal was for sure my crutch. And so it was probably just like all the fucking milk too. Yeah, actually. <laughs> it's just like a lot of liquid. Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't eat that shit dry. No. <laughs> <laughs> but then like with that became like an obsession of exercise because I always had this like ongoing fight because then I'd wake up and I would always be like, today's a new day, mm. but I should probably go for an hour long run, which again, most ski racers don't do. Like cardio was like a big part of my life as a power athlete because of that. You know, I also enjoyed running, but probably for the wrong reasons. So then it was like, okay, the day started well, you know, lunch, dinner. Oh, it's happening again. I remember moving out of my parents' house and I think I bought a place in Vancouver when I was like 26 and or 24, I forget, maybe 24. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, it's, it's going to change. Like when I move out of my house, like for some reason, like it's going to change, did not change. And I, so then, I mean, I don't remember exactly what age I met Steph, but for sure, 
the switch from ski racing to cycling, I was definitely like binge eating a lot less. I just was, and I don't know why, but I, I still was like the odd time. I think I started to have a different understanding and respect for fuel because I was actually now doing an aerobic sport, which required a lot of carbs and a lot of energy. I for sure would cater towards a healthy bowl versus a big bowl of just pasta. Even in fact, I don't think that's the reason, but like, I don't love a big bowl of pasta even to this day, but if there's like awesome veggies and whatever in there, I'm sure I'd eat the whole thing up. (laughs) Yeah. Steph, was a massive part in my acceptance, I think, again, coming back to acceptance, even just telling Steph that I had this problem and this, you know, thing was a massive step moving forward. She just, she just said, okay. Like she just accepted me and said, okay, thanks for telling me. Did you feel like before you told her that she wasn't going to accept that? I don't think I had, I had honestly kind of said it half ish, you know, to one other friend, maybe. So it was just very, very scary. It was just very scary. And I think I also was in a place of more confidence, like more control over it. You know, people with eating disorders think they're in control, but you're not at all (laughs) in so many aspects, in so many ways. So I was more in control, but I, I remember I definitely still relapsed a couple times early on in our relationship. And I'm sure maybe told her a couple of days later, maybe not the next day out yeah. of shame. But I remember early on, it must've been about yeah early mid twenties. Yeah. Honestly, the timelines are tricky. I was like, I'm going to go and see someone. Like a specialist. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it was someone that my mom had like mentioned that, and my mom didn't know, my family did not know. My family knew that I was like very hyper vigilant and hyper focused on fat, on yeah. oil, on just carbs. And I think they honestly, I think like in hindsight, they probably knew, but like, I don't think they knew, knew. But I remember my mom had told me this yoga teacher that I really liked was a psychologist, not a clinical specialist with eating disorders. Yeah. But I was like, okay, maybe she can help me. And maybe it was because someone that I knew probably was like, um, what the, what the issue was, but I remember going in and talking to her and she said, well, like cereal's not that bad. I remember her saying something like that, probably trying to like make me feel okay about it. But I just, I never went back. Like yeah. I literally, I just like, I went once I never went back and it was just like, nope, not ready yet. Like, yeah. And it just, it doesn't feel good to have your experience kind of like discounted. Yeah. I, I don't think that's what she was trying to do. It just, it, oh, no, I, yeah. it was just, I think I just wasn't ready. I thought I was, but I just wasn't. Yeah. And maybe the fact that like, I don't know, like that she maybe knew my mom or I, of it's course like it's confidential, close, but yeah. yeah. And so not the right approach, but I, I mean, I tried, but it just, I did, I, you know, I didn't try ever again. I yeah. truly didn't try. I have never seen a, a specialist, a, a, like a, a professional about it. And so I guess I healed in a unique way. Of course, no journey is the same. No two people's journeys are the same, but I still have like a relationship with food for sure. You know, a lot of people reached out to me once I put out my story with Bell and I mean, the overwhelming amount of people that reached out to me was incredible. Professional athletes, non-professional athletes, people that I had known years ago that were athletes that were now moms to say that, you know, they continue to struggle eating disorders that are very debilitating actually in their life. And I remember having some phone calls with people that I hadn't talked to in decades. It was quite the time. It touched on more people than I I expected. I think there's a lot of power in being someone who has status, has had Mm -hmm. success in a pretty traditional sense and Mm -hmm. in a way that's like, very celebrated, right? Like mm. Team Canada athlete, multiple Olympic appearances, bronze medal, 
you're someone who, whether you like want to or not, people put you on a pedestal. And so it humanizes. Oh, do it. Just do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it it humanizes the experience, I think, to hear people, you know, yeah, yeah, like. I struggle. You see more and more athletes doing that now. Like Michael Phelps is obviously a big voice in the Mm -hmm. U.S. for mental health. Paulo Ono has been pretty vocal. Obviously, the USA gymnastics team. Mm -hmm. Even Steph. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's important, but it's confusing because like, you know, it sounds like you had the food thing and a bit of an exercise. Absolutely. And I think (laughs) we talked about this on a a previous podcast, there's certain types of disorders and even addictions mm-hmm. that are so easily masked by success. It's like, well, even people who might might actually see it are like, well, she's having this success. So obviously mm-hmm. she doesn't have a disorder. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad. It's this really tricky sort of situation, probably as an athlete and someone who was experiencing it, but also I think on a societal level, grappling with the understanding that these people who we put on pedestals because mm-hmm. they're our heroes and our Olympic athletes and you look up to them are just real people and they struggle. I think it's really important to to share and I appreciated you sharing. Yeah. Thank you. How was it sharing? Was it scary? No. What was scary was telling my family, actually. I have a very close family where I have three older brothers. My parents were all very close and that was the hardest part for sure. I don't think they struggled with it. My one brother, like I'm very close to them. I love them very dearly. And my one brother's like, why wouldn't you have said something? Mm. And I'm like, I, I don't think you get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, the sometimes the hardest people or the, the most challenging thing to share is with the people closest with you. Yeah. Like clearly it's easier to tell the world than it is to tell your loved ones. We're going to disrupt sometimes. their whole sense of self. Yes. And like the way that they see you fundamentally changes. I remember coming out and being like, at one point I was like, I'll come out when my parents die. Cause I was so scared of telling my mom and my dad specifically. Oh, yes. And not because I didn't think that they would accept me. It was like, I just didn't, I felt like I was letting them down oh. or like, they would worry about me or something. Right. I mean, like, imagine how hard it was for me to tell my husband. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. That's a good, that's a good way of putting it though. And, yeah. and like my, yeah, my, my, we talk a lot. My family's very vocal. We are all up in each other's business, yeah. like in a good way. It's all about, it's all out of love. Steph may argue the <laughs> opposite, but so I think they were just really shocked yeah. first of all. And and then they were like, why didn't you say something? Like yeah. what you could have seen someone. And I'm like, you just don't get it. Like, like yeah. that. It, I couldn't, you know, it was really hard to tell my family and my, my brothers. Yeah. But honestly, like when it came out, I was actually relieved. It was a sign of relief once the story came out. In fact. Yeah. yeah. Probably like a weight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A, a big mental weight. And then, and then like an overwhelming amount of support that came in via yeah social media and, yeah. and my phone and, and yeah, like texting and everything. It was, I just think like eating disorders and a lot of other, you know, things that are like very functioning yeah. are kept under the rug and on so many levels, I think for, for a lot of people. And it, it's way more prevalent, way more prevalent than we think. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in sports also. Mm-hmm. Big time. So to kind of switch gears, the next thing that I thought would be cool was, and I guess I kind of touched on this from a personal standpoint, but like your 
gay. I don't know. Like we <laughs> no, don't. I'm gay. We yes. decided we don't like the word lesbian. I think it's like a generational is. thing. I don't really either it's just, because it's also like, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's like, you know, it, you don't tell someone like you are. It's a noun. Yeah. Yeah. Why right. Is it a noun? Why? I don't get it. Yeah. You are a heterosexual. Yeah. <laughs> Who that. says that? No one. Like, I am a straight. Yeah. No. Oh, straight. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally going to use that. I'm not going to say anymore. Hey, Dad, like, you're, you're hey, a you, straight. Do you think she's gay? I'm going to say, do you think she's a straight? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it just, but it sounds, it sounds like a medical diagnosis. It's serious. You know? That person, yeah. Said, like, you may as well just call me a leper. I think it sounds <laughs> oh, my like my, God. you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But some of the adjectives too, it's like butch. I'm like, yeah, I don't love why? that one. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. But anyway, so we like to use the word gay. I am, we are gay. You're yes, gay. Yes. Yes. Um, very gay. When did, when we were Skiing. friends, yeah. we weren't out. No. I didn't come out until I was 26. Although I think I came out quickly after those summers. Or maybe I did know. Cause I think, yeah, I think there I, was that one other oh, skier. Geez, that one girl. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, they're dating yeah. or some, anyway. Yeah, I'm t- well, there was like Kristen, Chris Peterson, maybe. Yep. KP. Yeah, because she was on our ski team. Yeah, exactly. And she's gay too. She's very gay. There's a few. There's a, a lot few of us, us are yeah, gay. Oh, yeah, now. There's, a, there's a few of us. <laughs> look, look, you can just say it. Gays are really good at sports. So. <laughs> it's true. Very. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I just like always had, I don't know if you experienced this, but like as a young kid, like an infatuation with like certain people of authority, like female. Oh, I'm sure you must have. Come on. Put on a Yeah. Uniform. Like, oh yeah. Teachers, no, like, coaches. Eh, teachers, maybe not so much. Coaches, a few coaches, yeah. like physios, strength and conditioning coaches, other athletes. You don't know what it is. It's just an infatuation of some kind. And then you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> then you figure out what it is. Yeah. When, and you're like, oh, okay. Was it, did you ever watch the movie Stick It? And was that Oh my God, no. Oh, I, that's when I figured it out. Oh my God, I should watch it. No. Yeah, it's a great movie. Amazing. I mean, it's Amazing. great. I mean, sure, yeah. the main character is Austria. It's Austria. <laughs> Very disappointing. Darn. Okay. Of course, I looked her up online and she's also a straight in real life. Oh, which is so disappointing. A double disappointment. <laughs> but... I also grew up in Vancouver, very accepting city. Although, I mean, again, I, I'm very close with my family. I love my parents. My mom works with a lot of gay social workers, men and women. And so I kind of like, and is very accepting of anyone. And so I kind of thought that she would be like a bit more accepting when I chit-chatted with her. But it was hard. It yeah. was hard for sure. I think also what was hard is I kind of like flip-flopped the classic like I'm by for a couple of years yeah. classic and so my parents were probably confused a little bit you know bless their souls would bring guys home would bring girls home probably a few more girls but yeah they were fine and then yeah I mean I don't think I ever put up a post and said I'm gay but it was more just like this is who I'm with this is who I am I'm very comfortable in my skin. I think I was for sure also going through something else during that time, I guess a little bit as well as, yeah, like dating men, dating women. And yeah, I mean, like I'm in, I'm in love with a woman now and that's where we're at. And I will be for many years. Hopefully till the end of (laughs) time. Yeah. Hopefully till the end of time. Yeah, exactly. So it was never like a thing for me. It was never really like a big deal. Like the conversation with my mom was a bit challenging, but you know, it wasn't relatively speaking compared yeah. to some other stories yeah. it was fine and yeah it was like even coaches athletes teammates 
you know, I was on a team in ski cross. So unlike Alpine and in ski cross, you're on a team with men and a lot of hetero men. (laughs) And, you know, you're on one team, there could be a guy that's like 35 and a girl that's like 18. So the whole gambit of like ages and life, what? Experience. Experience, thank you. And so for sure, there were like a couple dick comments, but relatively speaking, I've had a very easy time with teammates, with people of authority, with, yeah, for being a big old homo. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's a good... Yeah. And I'm lucky, honestly, like I'm lucky to say that. Absolutely. Yeah. So when Meredith and I got together, we had a competitive relationship and it was one-sided. I was very competitive with her. Well, I wouldn't say it was one-sided. We were competing against each other, which complicates things in CrossFit. But like, I also competed with her in everything else and still do to some degree. Whereas like, she's more like, like shower time, like, let's be stronger together. Uh, And I'm like, let's be stronger together. But I also want to be stronger than you. You're like, I want to win. Yeah. Yeah. And she like moved into my life. So there was like a bit of a, you didn't move into hers. No, I moved here. Oh, right. So, so, oh, so you actually did. Yeah. yeah, Right. And then she she was also my own apartment when I moved here. Why? You, you guys just you're had, a lesbian that clearly you just move in together <laughs> after she basically a month. did but she had an extra apartment just in case okay. never slept there i think once she did yep. but anyways how i'm long? wondering how, how long a year jesus alex <laughs> i know i had a thing okay. i was very concerned about having somebody like up and move their life right to my life because i enough. couldn't i was working Yep. And, I, and I was like, I don't want to be responsible. And You're doing that lawyer thing. Up until thing. then, yeah, up until <laughs> then, I, none of my relationships panned out. And I was like, of it's course, not gonna like, work. I'm yeah. the type of person who's like, the worst will always happen. That's sure. how my brain works. <laughs> so I'm like, we're not going to make it. So when I, I was biking to- over here, we're like, she's gone. She's, she's fallen. <laughs> She's got hit. She's, Probably. Yeah, yeah. George is I'm like, gonna, I got a text. Late. I was like, she's yeah. failing. Yeah, she, yeah. No. <laughs> Never. But anyways, I'm wondering, you and Steph, it sounds like you were really supportive of each other right away kind of thing. Yes. Those are facts. I think maybe because we weren't doing the same sport. In fact, like a very different sports, you know, team sport. Yeah. Soccer team of 20 something versus like, yeah, we were doing very, very different sports. I think one of the biggest things actually that we not miss, but don't have, even though it's changed for sure, is being like the most proud of her watching her play. It was just amazing. Like being in the stands and seeing her like be in her fucking element. And Steph is like a pretty introverted, quiet person. We got that like yin yang thing going. (laughs) She was a keeper and she is fucking loud on the field like very loud because you essentially like you're kind of the directing very you're exactly you're directing the defense absolutely and so it was just so awesome to see her in her element early on even like to get to go to games while I was training for skiing and cycling not simultaneously I would visit like so Steph played in Sweden for seven years professionally in Sweden obviously towards I, I, I only was a part of like the last year and then she was playing in North Carolina actually where are you from oh no shit yeah so yeah. she lived in Raleigh um, Raleigh yeah they won the NWSL cup in 2019 I think together 2018 oh. yeah so I actually was there that day. it was awesome so it was just like really cool to be able to travel and I would be the one to travel because she was always like playing professionally and couldn't leave to go and train wherever she was and like just see her do her thing it was amazing and then I think one of the best trips that she even speaks about today was my last trip to Europe as a skier she came for 
I don't know, two or three weeks. And my mom joined her for the second half of the trip. They'll never share a bed again because Carol snores. She got to watch me race in like four or five ski cross world cups. And we did the, I don't know, the, the season starts off going like across a thousand kilometers in like six different countries in Europe. So we just drove together from road trip, like did little mini road trips. And my team was totally fine with me driving with her versus them and just meeting them at the hotel. So she just got to experience like that part of my life. And it was really amazing having her there at the bottom. Yeah. Bottom of the course. So sounds like you had a nicer (laughs) experience than us. Also, Steph is not very competitive as a person. So I have had to just shift my energy when it comes to competition, not with her, like with other people or like, you know, I got back from a run. I like smashed a half marathon in Vancouver. And the first thing that comes out of her mouth when I get back, she's like, why? <laughs> like, why would you do that? And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what do you mean? Why not? Yeah. Why not? What the hell? <laughs> I killed it. <laughs> you know, that that's just the first thing that goes to her head. Just not a very competitive person. Yeah. So like we do work well in that regard. So I guess we're not that competitive Yeah. yeah. in things like board games and stuff. She gets very okay. competitive and often wins in fact. So oh. we just know our own spaces, I think. No, yeah. What was it like? So I big football fan, soccer. Okay. Yeah. Obviously like pretty bought into the Olympics and when the U S didn't. Meredith mm-hmm. loves the U.S. Yep. Really, yeah, the She's a big fan. Who's yeah. your favorite player? Don't say P- Pino. Oh, it's really <laughs> Alex Morgan. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. She Speaking does. of vanilla. She does. What's your jersey? No, she's What awesome. kind of jersey do you have? What kind of jersey? Whose a, jersey do you have? I have one Alex Morgan and I have one Pino jersey. <laughs> Anyways. No, they're um, great. They're, yeah. they're good. Yeah. Advocates yeah. for the sport in a big way. No, but I was like so bought into what mm-hmm. was happening at the Olympics. and Until they played Canada. Well, yeah, but even at, like it was people were like, oh, well, you know, who are you rooting for? And I was like, I mean, obviously the U.S., but like if Canada moves on, I will also be happy about that. Yes, it's, of course. It's, well, you're from there for sure. Yeah. So it was pretty special. What was that experience like? Honestly, not that particular moment in time or those couple days of being in Tokyo and watching Steph compete was actually not that fun. COVID was was right. clearly yeah, happening. Yeah. Well, you know, on the tail end, but I would maybe not even. It was well, like in the middle, still, right? Yeah, it was like getting treated. Like, oh yeah, te- yeah. We had like so. daily testing, yeah. masks everywhere at all times, yeah. and the cycling vicinity was really far from where the soccer was, so we yeah. did not see each other. First oh, of all, okay, yeah. at all. Second of all, the one like my and many athletes' favorite thing about the Olympics is not necessarily like meeting so many people from around the world, even though that is cool. It's meeting your own team. So it's meeting other Canadian athletes because your team, like the US, is so large. So you get to meet all these other like-minded people from your own country. And you know, you're representing your flag, representing your country. And that camaraderie is really, really special. And with that, at Olympics, there's a house and it's where athletes can go to chill out. Athlete lounge, that's what it's called. And it's where athletes can go to chill out to meet other athletes, but coaches are not allowed to go in there. And there's TVs and you're watching all the events. You know, there's events on all the time. And that was not allowed in Tokyo for COVID Mm -hmm. reasons. And so I was unfortunately watching some of the games like on my phone in my room. Oh no. And I actually like was really depressed yeah. for a couple of days because love my teammates on my cycling team, bless their souls. But it just wasn't that like camaraderie, amazing 
atmosphere that I was used to because I had been a few times before. (laughs) So I'd I'd experienced it before and it was dead. Like it Mm -hmm. really was lacking. And so it wasn't that fun. To be honest, yeah. I remember watching her one game. I think actually it was against the U.S. <laughs> while we were eating dinner in the like dinner hall, yeah. and there were a couple, like maybe five people around my phone, all huddled together watching the game. So like that was fun, but like nothing compared to my other experiences at Sochi or Rio, yeah. like meeting other people and just really enjoying that energy. I did fly home actually before her gold medal final and watched the gold medal final at a downtown bar in Calgary with like 200 people. That was so that was super fun. And a bunch of, you know, Canadian sports athletes and people and retired. Yeah. Up and coming. And it was like the news was there. It it was hilarious. My brother showed up like it was very, very fun. (laughs) That was a blast. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting Mm -hmm. because that would have been the only shared Olympic experience that you guys. So yes, we met in Rio. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, we, yeah. yeah, we, we like said, Hey, congrats on the bronze. And she said, you too. Actually, really? she, that's she, how you met. Yeah. She always says, I came up to you first, which she did. So like very bold of her. And she said, congrats. And I said, you too. Oh, it's like we met. At the- and then what happened after that? Oh, we don't Do need you- to get into details. <laughs> <laughs> no, we started like dating a couple months later. Yeah. That's, that's all we need to know. <laughs> that's fine. But we met in Rio. Yeah. See, they really are like the varsity version of our school. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God, you're so American varsity. <laughs> is that not a word here? I mean, it is. We just don't like use it that often. Uh, okay. right? No. Yeah. Well, I was like, what does that mean? I'll yeah. ask her after. <laughs> made, made a note in my notepad. Varsity. Varsity. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So we talk a lot about ourselves on this podcast. It's <laughs> a podcast about yeah, yeah. And about it gets yeah. old, really. Okay. But when you, when you retired... Mm-hmm. Did you find that you struggled with your identity? Like having been an athlete for so long, when you retired, was there like a moment where you struggled or even now? It's probably going to be annoying to hear this, but not really. I did the work, I believe, required to not go through what a lot of athletes go through after retirement from their sport before. So about six months prior to Tokyo, which was going to be my last race, I started to, well, I guess I'll take, take you back a little bit before that. A lot of mentors, like other athletes that I had looked up to over the course of my career had always said like, enjoy the moment of sport because you're, you're not going to be the shit anymore. You're not going to be, you know, you're just going to be a minion after like you're, you're, you're just like every, everyone else, you know? So like, enjoy it and like be grateful for it. So the last couple of years of my life as an athlete, I really started to implement that of like truly being grateful to be on a chairlift in the Swiss Alps on a bluebird day and being like, this is my work. I'm getting paid to do this as well as having some idea of what you want to do after your career will help you, like will help you along that journey of self-identity and transition, et cetera, et cetera. So I really like took that to heart and I am such a goal-driven person that also the idea of not having anything after my athletic career, that gave me anxiety. I'm not an anxious person by any means, except the dentist because I broke my jaw, (laughs) had so many fucking surgeries. (laughs) That's the one thing. One thing that makes me anxious is the dentist and the thought of not having goals, truly. So 
I, I was like, I have to do this work prior to in order to not feel that. And so with that, about six months prior to retirement, I just started to reach out to a lot of like industry leading professionals from brands, agencies, like sport management, Olympic committees, that's four things right there. And and met with a lot of people from various different, more actually talked to a lot of like executive roles. So I talked to even like the partnerships team at the Angel City FC, like the new yeah. NWSL expansion team that, that was going to be announced at the time for soccer. I talked to the LA Olympic 28 president. Like I, I talked to people at Red Bull. I talked to people at Oakley. I talked to sports agents and just to get like the uh, lay of the land of like what you do and like, is this of interest in, to me? And so it wasn't really like what I want to do was actually a, a more of a kind of process of like, what do, what do I not want to do? Which was great. It was like a process of elimination. Right. Yeah. And so then fast forward to retirement and still like kind of not knowing exactly, but I was excited to figure it out. There were like early, early days after retirement or after the Olympics were over. I hadn't yet announced retirement yet. Steph and I were on a little road tripper in the Canadian Rockies. She just won the gold and she was doing a kind of like a, a large event appearance with her community in Spruce Grove, Alberta. And so she was talking to her agent a lot about this event. And honestly, like he actually became a mentor and like a really big advocate to me in that transition. But it was during that road trip that and on these calls that I was like, it was clearly on speakerphone. You should always say you're on speakerphone when, oh, when there's other 100%. Yeah. And after these phone calls, I'd always be like, Steph, I think I can do this. Like, I think I should do this. Like, am I going to do this? I think I'm going to do this. And so I created a business plan. I talked to mentors in terms of people that I'd met along my journey from skiing to cycling, people that are, were very like financially successful, that had helped me, that had, you know, not even financially speaking, but just like assisted me in some capacity along my journey. I'd made a lot of connections. I enjoyed doing the work as an athlete. Like a lot of athletes actually had come up to me almost comically even during the course of my career to say, Hey, how can I get sponsors as an athlete? And I'm like, okay, not the time. Like yeah, I'm still yeah. finding them for myself or like, it's not that hard. Like it's not rocket science. I enjoy doing that kind of building my brand, connecting with communities across the country. And so essentially that's what I'm continuing to do. It's just not for me. It's for, it's for athletes. Yeah. yeah found, like graphic design, logo, you know, incorporated business accounts, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and honestly, in hindsight, I'm like, shit, you got, I hate that expression, but like, you got some balls for starting your own business. Yeah, we I, have to. <laughs> yeah, it, well, exactly. You have to. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I honestly just switched from one passion to the next yeah. of like, and because I announced AG very quickly after retirement. And so I, it, it just became my passion. I, I became passionate about waking up and getting on my computer every day. I wasn't sleeping for a couple months while Steph was still playing and I was retired in Paris. So it gave me time to honestly get up at four and like hammer out a couple hours of work and then have a nap at like 10 in the morning yeah. for 30 minutes and then hammer out more hours. Yeah. Living in France, I was, I was a dog mom, a housewife, a <laughs> chef, and a business owner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was a really fun, like six months. Yeah. Just like kind of building it and being very inspired. Did you have a backup plan? No, absolutely not. That's yeah. probably why it is so successful. Really? I think that yeah. there's, there's a lot of value in just getting both feet over skin the Skin in the game. Like, yeah. Put skin in the game. Totally. This is, burn the boats. Yeah. Like, this is it. I'm making it happen versus like, oh, I'm going to see if I can do this, but I'm going to have this over here on the just side. in case, because then you don't really like 
commit the energy that you need to commit to something like that to get yeah. going, have the focus for it. I will also say I was in a, in a place financially where I didn't need a nine to five job after sport. And I'm lucky and proud to say that I was able to put some money into my business. I was able to not need a consistent income right off the get go. And I think that gave me the confidence and like freedom to continue to pursue it yeah. for sure. So, and many other athletes are not in that, in that situation. Yeah. They need a nine to five job. So they, you know, they'll go and work at Lululemon, which is great. And that is their starting point. I felt very free to like see where it goes. Yeah. I think we like run together sometimes. Like you're, de- we- you're a decent <gasps> runner. Alex, I, I know compared to you, I'm shit. But no, like- you're not. <laughs> okay. uh, but so you're, so you're, you, you did like a half marathon in the fall. I did my first. Yeah. What was your time? One thirty-six. That's pretty good. A pretty, pretty good, good first half marathon. <laughs> Were you? Yeah. Did you train for it? I trained for about three weeks. Okay, <laughs> and I did way maybe two longer runs. Yeah, and you do a lot of backcountry skiing. I do. You do. We just did a dual slalom. Oh my god! Yeah, we did throwback <laughs> charity. It was that was such a great throwback. You and I hadn't hit gates no. in you know like seven and fifteen years, probably <laughs> more. It was really fun, and mm-hmm. then. You do you play soccer and you? I do. Yeah, I'm. Okay. I'm like a sub on Steph's team. <laughs> Amazing. And and then I became like more of a more of a consistent player. And it the, these group of women, they're, they're all moms essentially. There's like a couple young folk that are like thirty plus. Like yeah. they're they're moms. Some of them have like teenage kids, and it's just so fun to be a part of a core group of people that love like activity and soccer and they just like welcomed us with open arms steph knew a couple of the players kind of from like her provincial days in alberta but i just like felt so i don't know i just felt so awesome that they welcomed me with open arms and and i was like so vulnerable like i felt like a fish out of water playing soccer again after not touching a ball for literally 20 years probably but it was fun it's so fun i love it yeah so basically you're still like an athlete like for fun Yeah. I I actually like, I'm competitive with myself. I think like you probably appreciate this where Steph, like team sport athletes need, I think after, especially actually retiring from a team sport, there's a larger gap that like they're told what to do from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. And I, I kid you not, they're told like when to pee. I kind of make a joke. Like Steph would tell me like when I could call her, like it send me a, like a, a spreadsheet of her day. And I'm like, oh, okay. There's like six minutes, like after your fucking snack time, that's like scheduled. And so with being an individual athlete, yes, I was on a team sport with cycling, but I you know, I come from ski racing. That's kind of my roots. Really is it an individual sport? There's a lot of autonomy, like in individual sport athletes where it's on you. Like you don't do a workout, that's on you. You cross the finish line alone, that's also on you. So I think with that, I just naturally have a lot of autonomy with my training and my, or I don't even call it training, but just like my exercising, I guess, yeah. and enjoy pushing myself. I enjoy pushing my limits. If there's, I think I'm going to sign up for the half marathon at the end of May. That's my next little peak. And I'm pumped about it. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You do a lot. You're always out and about. Do you do Zwift? I, I, I do. I used to do it far more than I do now. I still hop on there every, every now and then. And it's like, I think the best thing about Zwift that I, I love is like, I can be in the mood for either a race, a ride, like a group ride. 
it, it has the gambit of what you mentally are after that yeah. day. And and I get on my bike and I will want something different every single time. And and it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. What kind of trainer are you riding on? I'm on like a Wahoo kicker. I was going to say, do you have a Wahoo? Yeah, yeah, I do. Awesome. Yeah. We got, we got Stefa's one too. We got yeah. two, two in our basement. We got to get a Wahoo. If you're on Zwift, certainly. She's oh, yeah. not. And tax. Ta- tax. Those ones are great too. Yeah. Either or. I like just go to Wahoo. Get a Wahoo. You, you just like the name. I invited you for a workout after this, but you passed, but I'm not going to give up. Hard decline, unfortunately. <laughs> Guys, I I like carry a fair, well, maybe not my, I don't have CrossFit arms, but I have a lot of muscle in my body kind of naturally. And so I, I just actually haven't found an urge to lift weights and I hope I'm, I'm still accepted. I hope we don't like delete we'll let this it podcast. Slide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, to each their own, first yeah, of all, right, Alex? Sure. I always, judge. we always say like, just Do. support any activity. I yeah, don't care. We exactly. Don't, we don't shit on any activity. Mm-hmm. It's just anything is good. If, whether you're walking, cycling, right. backcountry skiing, totally. if you're just playing sports, like. I love it. So yoga and running are my things and cycling and yeah. like, I'm excited to get it back on my mountain bike this summer. Yeah. Love it. We'll, yeah. We'll do some rides. I'll yeah. crush you on a mountain yeah, bike. Yeah. Right. Sure. <laughs> How did George and Alex get so injured? Yeah. Well, <laughs> trying to jump off a <laughs> gap. <laughs> fun. I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll join you guys. For I did like though. a like, cliff. I did a cliff yikes. drop very small on skis the yeah. other day. I was riding at the chair left and I was like, do you think I can go off that? Love and it. Of course I'm like, Yes. Yes. Yeah. And my mom was like, oh God. No. But I went off it and the amount of adrenaline I had pumping yes. through my body was amazing. I was like, I have to go inside. She needed a I need to a eat something yes. and I need to go home. Yes. I, I feel that. I've done that. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I think even before my half, like my first half, I got up, I, I, I stretched, I rolled. I do not do that on a daily basis anymore. And then like I got up nice and early to fuel before so things didn't happen in the race. And I was nervous before the start line. And in my head, I'm like, Georgia, no one cares. Literally, no one knows who you are. No one gives a shit. It doesn't matter. And I was so nervous, like in a good way, but it was just so funny. It was like I was on the Olympic start line. I know. Straight up. I think it's because it becomes so much more when you don't do it as often. Or something. I don't know what it is. Maybe. I, I think it's like an athlete thing. There are, I think there you just actually, have it in you. Yeah, yeah. There are people who can actually detach so much. Like, I don't really care. And they actually don't care. Right. But they're not going to run fast. Right. So even if you're fast is not like elite fast. Right. It's still like. It still counts because there's there's a dang try. timer. Yeah. I and have, it was fast for me. Yeah. So I was. like hard oh my god very yeah. challenging i think like the the understanding like i'm about to put myself in an immense amount of pain exactly that's gonna make effort yeah. right for sure yeah it was, it was fun i'm excited to do another one actually <laughs> last question and then we'll sign off if you had to give advice to your younger self what would it be that's a tough one i know that is no i like that i think it would be like continue to work hard for sure. I, I had a, a pretty incredible work ethic as a kid. Continue to work hard because I think that's pretty special, but also don't take yourself so seriously. Mm. You know, Alex, how many races did we enter when we were 12 to whatever and we like missed a gate and we thought it was the end of the world, right? Like how many? A lot. Yeah. I mean, I have like a lot the end of broken of the world. golf clubs to show for yeah, a golf shot. Like, golf was a bad one for me. Yes. But there is, yeah. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, right? You're still going to work hard. You're still going to have fun with your friends. Yeah. I think continue to work hard, 
and have fun. You have to have fun. Like I loved working hard as a kid. Like I just loved it. And I love, I love being with friends, but I think you're always hard on yourself. I'm sure that's a pretty cliche thing to say to your younger self, but it's probably very powerful too. Yeah. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I feel like I have a lot more questions, but I'll save them for the next one. (laughs) Yeah. Really quick to be annoying, but just so in case someone listened to this episode and not the last one, where do they find you on the internet? My personal Instagram is G Simmerling, S-I-M-M-E-R-L-I-N-G. G Simmerling, my first initial and last name. And my business account is Team AG Sports, I think. Yeah. Team AG Sports. We were on a podcast recently and Alex straight up confidently gave the wrong Instagram. <laughs> I gave my email address. He's like, yes, what? you can find me at AA Parker 2. And we were like, that's not it. That's it's AA it. Parker 1. Oh my God. <laughs> that's, so that's funny. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time. This has been really wonderful. And I think people are really going to like these shows. So awesome. Yeah. It was yeah. really, really fun to be here. Right. We'll do it again.